From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. What are you willing to risk for what you believe? That's the question I've been reflecting on ever since I talked to my guest today, Jesuit Father Steve Kelly. Father Kelly is a peace activist and a member of the Plowshares Movement, a largely Catholic movement of pacifists that protests nuclear weapons by damaging weapons and military property. He has spent at least a decade of his life behind bars for his witness, and he was just released recently for what was called the King's Bay Plowshares Action. On April 4th, 2018, the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., Father Kelly and six other Catholic activists cut a hole in the security fence at the King's Bay Naval Base in Georgia, where several nuclear submarines are kept. They hung a banner, spray-painted Love One Another on the pavement, poured their own blood on a seal of the base, and pounded the display of a Tomahawk missile with a hammer. They were willingly arrested two hours after entry. When I talked with Father Kelly recently, I asked him about why he chooses to participate in these actions despite the risks. We also talked about his vocation story to the Jesuits and his experience with the criminal justice system. He is a gentle, warm person, and he quietly challenged me to think and pray about how I live what I say I believe. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Father Steve Kelly, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, and thank you very much for this. No, certainly. I'm excited to, to talk to you and to hear a bit about uh, your story. Um, so it's been a few months now since you were uh, released from jail and just wondering uh, after that time, and how has your readjustment been these past few months? It, it, it's still yet to... Uh, to to happen. It's when I was released uh, after a long uh, thousand days uh, in in uh, two thousand and two. Uh, we were coming out of the nine eleven catastrophe, and of course the uh, the clergy abuse scandal. And so we were coming out. I it, there was a kind of a a security thing. There was a sort of a a distancing. Uh, and now he's coming out. You couldn't. I couldn't even hug anybody. I was coming directly released from the court on 13th of uh, April. You know, in, so you have to be cautious in this pandemic time. So, I'm, so I'm a, I've been a bit standoffish to try to learn the ropes. You know, uh, 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 how to proceed in the uh, time of the plague. You know, but sure. other than that, it, uh, people have been very good to me. Very, very, very generous. Uh, interested to know how I am and, and all that. Very solicitous. So maybe for, for people who aren't as familiar with you, your story, if you could maybe just start by telling uh, us a little bit about yourself. Oh, okay. I was um, mostly uh, raised in uh, Northern California. And uh, of course, my education has taken me around a lot. And I traveled. Um, my father was in the Air Force. And we went to Turkey in 1963, 64, 65. And it was a real eye-opener in terms of you know, poverty and the way the world works and, and that kind of thing. And so uh, it, I think it helped my education. It helped me to ask uh, some deeper questions. And then I found my 
response to all of God's generosity in, in, in the Jesuits. It, uh, it's, I, I think it's a good fit. Uh, and so um, I was ordained in 1990. So it's uh, been 31 years now. And so uh, during that time, um, I, I, I could probably shortcut it to say if people know who the Berrigans are, I probably like to be a Dan Berrigan clone, although I don't write as much as he does uh, did, and um, uh, God bless him. And, but he was very, very personable, and at the same time, um, from Catonsville to the Plowshares actions, it helped me as a person of trying to form my conscience. So that's what uh, brought me to the five plowshares that I've, I've done since the 50th anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1995. You, you mentioned this travel, the spent time living in Turkey as a, a younger person and mm -hmm. part of your awakening. How did that then go with your religious vocation? Did you see those things as consistent? Yes, uh, or? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. Uh, Turkey, of course, is a, is a, uh, predominantly a Muslim country, and it's part of the Middle East. Uh, uh, I'm just catching up on how World War I uh, divided up the world uh, in terms of uh, boundaries and oil and production and all that. But in the meantime, this is a whole different way of life. East sort of meets West in, in Turkey. And I was very naive. Uh, right behind me as I was um, a lifeguarded pool in Adana, Turkey, on the on the base. Some jets were taking off and bombing Cyprus. They were Turkish jets, and uh, you know this is kind of like a kind of a horizon expanding. This tragedy, of course, about the bombing, but it was a, expanding my horizons to say there's really some uh, some large uh, views here. There's a uh, uh, world visions, in other words, and so um, as as a person, I had to kind of you know it was a value clarification time as well. I said, well, am I what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, what does it mean to be a Christian in that part of the world? Uh, I had to ask that uh, several times. And then, of course, uh, my own faith. My parents were uh, both Catholic, of course. Uh, so I was raised in, in, in that atmosphere. But like I say, the continually uh, a question that I had was this the consistency of life ethic, that the same people that you'd want to feed and protect and, and all that, you'd also want to pre preserve them from being nuked. So those are the kinds of questions, of course, in my religious base that came early to me in my formation and education. Sure. So you mentioned the, the, the plowshares actions you've been involved with. For people who aren't as familiar, how do you, I guess this could be an interesting elevator conversation, right? Or, or like on a, an airplane, someone says, so, so what, is, what is that? Um, what is, so how would you describe the, the mission of the movement you're a part of in the, its vision? Well, the, the, the vision comes obviously from Isaiah the prophet uh, and uh, Micah as well, Micah chapter four, uh, but Isaiah two, uh, leads off the entire lectionary of the Catholic cycle of readings for Sunday, for the entire lectionary. It's the very first reading. And it speaks of a vision God gives us of conversion. It's a way out of the mess that we're in. Um, conversion of heart, conversion, more a moral and political conversion, but as well, you know, an actual conversion of swords to plowshares. And this is a, a vision that you don't have, we're not asking people to... Uh, to leave their work, but the, the, perhaps their companies can, instead of making uh, fighter aircraft, they can make planes. Uh, 
We did one plowshares, for instance, in Maine, where uh, Disneyland had just contracted for a pleasure boat from a European entity. And they have this capacity in Maine to make these kinds of um, pleasure crafts, but they were producing destroyers that are nuclear capable. So I, I hope that you can kind of see that that conversion is not a threat to, uh, to jobs and all that, but is a, actually an economic, uh, how, how would you say, a more uh, sustainable economic uh, conversion. So kind of from that vision, I wonder too, maybe a, a quick follow-up. We're in the Ignatian year right now. It's 500th anniversary of Ignatius being hit by the yeah, yeah. Someone who fancied himself a, a soldier who then kind of wounded veteran laid yes. the, right laid the sword down and kind of pursued a, a different path do you find uh, inspiration in, in his story as well oh i i i find i i don't know how personal you wanted to hear it but of course ignatius's own coming about his expectations his um uh, his initial uh take on life you know there's probably a lot of uh you know changes in store for him. And I, I probably, you know, my, I sort of probably, I wouldn't say purge, but I've been sort of introduced to changes in my life from my original vocation to being introduced to good people and, and being changed by them. And, um, and so all of the things that have been put in my life have been brought me around to sort of see how, how God is, is apparent in, in many things, or at least can be revealed in many things that such as Ignatius discovered. He really practically invented psychology with the exercises. Uh, I mean, Augustine, St. Augustine is, is attributed, of course, to the, you know, the internal examine of conscience. But Ignatius seemed to have actually uh, given us, uh, you know, uh, an interior life, uh, all of us. Uh, I'm not just speaking about Catholics who take the exercises, but but to be able to really take a look at our lives in terms of uh, our, our values. Yeah, I, so I, I attribute a lot to um, the Ignatian spirituality. It's been, uh, it's also been helped me through a lot of difficult times in jail and prison. So that vision of Isaiah is one that, you know, I, the swords into plowshares and I've seen, you know, there's the big sculpture at the United Nations where they're kind of beating oh, the swords. Yes. Yeah, beautiful sculpture. And I can see that as a relatively comfortable upper middle class person and think like, oh yes, like this is something I should care about. And maybe I will write a letter to someone mm -hmm. uh, in power. Maybe it'll affect the way I vote, what I pray about. But the some of the, again, the actions you've been involved with have been riskier than that. They, they've gone again, trespassing, knowing that you were risking significant jail time, including with this mm -hmm. most recent action in Kings Bay, Georgia, how for you does that did that has that discernment happened uh, in your life to see? Okay, this is what I believe. This is the vision, and then this is how I'm going to to live it out. Yeah, the there's a it, let's see if I can put it very simply. You you're given a kind of a depth, and through your experiences, one after another, I believe that you you kind of come to a point where you get in touch with certain desires. Now, of course, I would really like to see uh, the end of nuclear weapons, but I'd mo very much like to see a, a, a conversion of the mentality that would want to, to uh, nuclearize our enemies. Uh, it's very interesting about the statue, uh, the Isaiah statue at, at the United Nations. That was a gift from the Russians. 
not necessarily the Soviets, but that was a gift from the Russians to the to the U.S. people. That that statue, and they're supposedly from an unbelieving country, uh, you know, so-called secular communist country, is the ones that actually gave us the statue of the Isaiah two prophecy. And so, in order to love our enemies, I think we, we, we also have to see that the United States is the only user of nuclear weapons in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Thank God that uh, nothing further has happened, but it's such a tragedy, tragedy that must not ever happen again. And so, I think it, it's important for us to sort of see that the United States is, uh, is, is, is not giving up these weapons without uh, an awful lot of uh, political activity. And so that's why I feel it's very important for us to act in conscience and let God help us. Uh, if God has given us that desire and foments it, and we get with like-minded people and discern and pray together to see what, what would be our response to such an analysis. And that analysis is important. We, 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 we must be informed. We must inform our conscience. But in acting, I can't act alone. I would never be able to do uh, plowshares alone, I would act in concert with other people. So that's part of the discerning process in there that is this, does this make sense? Of course, does it, is it needed? And then we come across the efficiency question. Is it, is this going to work? And then you find out, you know, it may not immediately get the results we want, but nonetheless, it's such a good thing to do. We should do it. And the means match the end. The end is nonviolence. The end is uh, the conversion of nuclear weapons, and by the, that token, then we have to act in a nonviolent way. So that, that's important for a group of people to go under those kinds of procedures. So the, the most recent group you've been connected with, the uh, Kings Bay Plowshares 7, mm -hmm. so seven of you who on uh, the April 4th, 2018, is that right? Do I have the date that's, right? Yeah, that's correct. Right. Um, that is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Right. So you then went to, well, just tell, tell the story again, I guess, for people who might not be as familiar. So what happened uh, leading up to that day and, and then what happened on that, that day? Yeah, so we, we uh, went to the base and um, clipped a lock at the outer, one of the outer perimeter gates. And by that, immediately we captured an audience that could not ignore us in our presence. So we trespassed. But that trespassing was to gain an audience where we could begin to preach the word to them because they could not ignore our presence once we were there, even though they, they, it was at night and they didn't know we were there yet. So then we went further and, and then we, we um, went into three different groups. One would address the nuclear bunkers. Another would address sort of the intellectual authors of any kind of a battle that's called uh, Swift Atlantic. And then the other one was uh, another group went to the monument to the missiles. It's, it, we actually had to dub it, uh, Mike, a, a shrine because it, it, it looks like a shrine to, to missiles. So at uh, early morning hours, we addressed all of those by either uh, putting, uh, pouring our blood or going into or um, proximity to the bunkers or in writing on the actual missiles themselves, thou shalt not kill, and idolatry, and of course, the Isaiah uh, uh, sighting. So in all of that, 
when we once we did that, we were able to reach out to the people who are involved, directly involved, and name the sin for what it is. Is these weapons have no other use than to be aimed at uh, civilians in other places, and so we. I like to think of ourselves as, uh, as, as following Jesus, the good shepherd, is that we would insert ourselves between the wolf or the thief to prevent any further danger or any further larceny from the poor that, uh, that the good shepherd represents. And I testified to that in court, of course. So in other words, we were preaching in that location, whereas on the outside of the gate, we could be ignored. We weren't. We couldn't capture our flock, so to speak, to preach to. We'd have to. We'd have to um, uh, gain entry, and not only gain entry, but do those kinds of actions that engage those people that are involved in such weaponry. I hope that makes some sense. Uh, yeah. I ask anyone to agree with our activity, but at least to say that that's how we would reach out. And that's how we would proclaim the gospel in such a place. So I, I'm, and I'm curious about then the, the different goals you have in your mind and heart as a community moving into that. As you said, you don't necessarily know if you'll be successful right away in totality. You know, probably know like this, this action is not going to end, most likely not going to end uh, nuclear armament in the United mm -hmm. States or mm -hmm. other places. Um so yeah, for you, what are the, the things you hope to accomplish, um, both well, I, for yourself or for the community? Yeah. Thank you for mentioning. Hope hope is the thing. Is it? I think what really makes a difference in my life is that I uh, is that I do have hope. I may not see the end of nuclear weapons in my time, but I think their days are numbered. I, I don't think I, I know that their days are numbered, and but it really does. It'll take human beings to undo what human beings did, with God's help. And so that's why I feel uh, that, you know, in other words, if we wake up this sleeping giant, uh, you know, we don't necessarily, uh, we, we can't necessarily steer where it's going to go, but we can at least give the, the option that it does, it'll take some degree from each one of us, some kind of a commitment to following, uh, you know, the founder of our faith and to imitate uh, that. So I it's kind of a it's kind of a pleading, um, you know. It, like I say, it's it it, it breaks uh, formally it breaks the law, but it fulfills a greater law. Uh, now, uh, nuclear weapons have been designated, um, you know, illegal in international law. So, in many ways, there's a fulfilling of uh, you know the demands of Nuremberg that citizens should take up their um, you know the cause and alert their governments or and or fellow citizens to such a, uh, you know, genocide, uh, potential genocide. So I think in all of, the, all of this, I feel um, that, it, that it's, um, it's a liturgy of the word. Number one, if it, those who are familiar with uh, the mass, the first part is the liturgy of the word. And then of course, we, we cannot be fully human. We can't, uh, in, in the sense of our Eucharist, we can't fully commune with each other while there still is a pact out there uh, for nuclear weapons to be used. So until that happens, we won't really, the, the body of Christ is still, uh, you know, uh, hurting and still um, that, that sin is still uh, crucified. 
You use that phrase, wake up the sleeping giant. Do you have in your mind then like well-meaning people of faith or just people of goodwill who might hear about um, your your witness and then might have to kind of examine their own priorities or? Uh, yes, I, I think mostly, you know, you probably, uh, we have a wonderful example. Robert Aldrich worked at Lockheed. Lockheed makes uh, the components for the, the missiles and submarines and uh, he discovered as an engineer, a rocket engineer, uh, quite some time ago, that the United States was on a first strike basis. He knew by, because of the technology, and he knew because of the way the guidance systems and all that. Well, he decided, he and his wife decided, that they, he could no longer work at Lockheed, and he had 10 kids. So this is sort of the paradigm for me to reach out to, and he happens to be Catholic from Tennessee, and, and he'd been around a bit, and he really knew what he was doing. Ten kids, a lucrative salary, a, a, a career to be envied and for most engineers, making you know, rockets and guidance systems, missiles, et cetera, et cetera. But he saw where it was all going, and he and his wife, in conscience, resigned from the job. And the family all cooperated to get through it as to how to, how to survive in, in, under those circumstances. And so that's kind of like the model I'd like to see is that people respond in faith. Of course, not everyone can, can lose their job, but could there, be, uh, could there be some kind of support? I think there was a Bishop Mathiason in northern Texas that has the uh, Pantex plant. They, they're the ones that actually assemble a nuclear weapon, and then they'll put it on a train and send it. A warhead, I mean. And then they'll send it to the various places it has to go. Well, the bishop offered, he says, we will try to find you employment if you would consider not working any longer at Pantex. Now, this is the 80s. Um, and I'm sure that that involved a lot. I'm sure that that provoked a lot of consciences. And some people are hanging on to jobs that they really don't want. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of that. Uh, and then there are some who are probably, no, I'm going to I'm going to, um, uh, this is the way, they, they think they're defending their country in this fashion. Uh, but I still think that they have to uh, inform their conscience. Could you describe what was going on for you internally on any of these actions? Maybe things have changed for you over time in terms of kind of what you're feeling or thinking. Are you experiencing the presence of God? Is it a lot of nervousness, uh, you know, that evening kind of going together as a group? Do you remember uh, any of the internal stuff that was happening? Well, it, you know, Carmen uh, Trotta, who just recently got released uh, last week, you know, the, and is now at the Catholic Worker in New York, he put it very well. Uh, when we approach the nuclear bunkers, we, there is actually an announcement that goes off every, oh, perhaps a couple times a minute uh, in some cases that actually talks about it, the, it being a lethal force zone. So where, did, <laughs> where on earth did we get the presence of mind, the peace of mind, to go forward with such a thing. When the Marines have an order that guard the nuclear weapons, they have an order to shoot to kill. And the announcement is going off, kind of backing that up. And Carmen said uh, in, in full court, he said, you know, thank you for not uh, killing us. At the same time, too, he says it was remarkable that we could go forward with such a thing, because otherwise you'd think there would be some kind of paralysis and fear alone. So I'd have to attribute that to God, that we, I, I couldn't have taken the next peaceful step without both my fellow uh, plowshares activists, as well as, as uh, 
divine inspiration. Um, so I don't know if that if that answers the question fully, but I, I have to say is that is you just you just got to take one peaceful step after another. Now the whole thing took a lot of process, months and months of praying together and where should we go and how should we uh, comport ourselves and are we you know uh, what about the other people that we will encounter? So all those questions we had to uh, take on and, 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 and pray over and, and come to some resolution. And I, I think we did a, I think we did a, a, a very fine job in that area. Uh, um, I, I look forward to, uh, uh, you know, another action of the, of the same, uh, you know, type of, of plowshares action where we can learn from anything that uh, might've gone uh you know, that it wasn't fully dealt with. So we, we learn as we go along, of course. So this is this is something that, despite having done this a few times and spent years in, in prison, that you might feel called to participate again in some form. Oh, yes. You know, they have the, the nukes aren't, as I say to people, the nukes aren't going away by themselves. And uh, this isn't the only way to address them, but it's certainly, uh, for my given my conscience and given the, the biblical background, the prophetic background, and uh, the, you know, the leaders and the examples that we've had, and say for the, the Berrigan brothers and, and other people who've gone before us, uh, if the analysis is something that is capturing your attention and you feel as though it's true, then in conscience, you've really got to act on that analysis. You've got to do something, as Gandhi says, do something. And so I think it, uh, it's, it's a gift to me to be able to, the strength that I have, as long as God wills, uh, if I can make this kind of response um, uh, until somebody can show me something, <laughs> uh, you know, that, uh, deeper or, uh, you know, in other words, more, uh, more prophetic. I don't mean that in necessarily in a quality or quantitative sense, but just something that would uh, speak as, as, as well to the issue. So when you have then through these actions run also into experience with the criminal justice system, you're talking about protesting one form of, of violence that we, we mm -hmm. see here in our country and then engaging with another parallel one. Um, again, that has been under, I think like a lot of uh, reflection and obviously in the news a lot, in the past couple of years, thinking about the criminal justice system and what reforms we might need. What, what has your experience been like within that system? Um, how do you try to be a person of peaceful witness within that system that can be a really inhumane place? Yes, that's, and, and that is the, there's, there's really three actions or three witnesses involved in the plowshares. The first one, obviously, that takes months and months and months of retreating together, and you finally act at like for instance at the base the second one is the court where you have to go into the area that's more uh, it's a more dangerous room than anyone in the pentagon because the legitimation of nuclear weapons happens in the judiciary and we are mostly silence we are mostly gagged the jury has not been allowed to hear why we did this and then the third witness is the incarceration the penalties and Mike, I, I could be, you know, I could, I could just easily get through it all uh, acting like a monk. I mean, uh, well, I am one in, in, a, in a fashion, right, analogously. 
But I'm also encounter, there are so many people locked up. And I also encounter, there's a tremendous amount of misery, misery in this form. And for every guy I see, there's some loved one doing time with them. There's either a spouse or a mother, father, children, a loved one that's actually doing the time with them. So it's not just these people that are locked up, the two and a quarter million people that are behind bars as right now as we're speaking, but this monumental um, thing of incarceration. We're only 5% of the world's population in the United States. We have one out of four prisoners in the world is, is in the United States. That's, that, that's proportionally, that's, that's an industry. So, so you come across just institutional violence in this form, you know, and I think the people that work in these places, I, I, I meet a lot of them and um, uh, to them, to some, it's just a job and to others, uh, you know, after a while they wear off the rough edges and they see that they, you know, that there has to be some changes, there has to be some justice. But uh, I was also, uh, the backlog that came from the virus, uh, we were in denial, for instance, in jail, we could mingle with each other. We, we did, you know, we, did, we weren't under the restrictions. Um, in some ways, um, they finally figured out how to quarantine people by either locking them down in their cells for a long time or after two weeks, letting them uh, uh, move to uh, a place where everyone was checked out through quarantine. But it was monumental, the backlog of people that they're trying to move, just thousands and thousands of people. It was it's just, just like warehousing people on a massive scale. I mean, it's, it's just so apparent when you're, when you're inside. And then, of course, you'd have to learn the, the, you know, the violence that people have, uh, have, have been dealing with all their lives, sometimes in their neighborhoods, sometimes um, uh, from, uh, from various institutions in the United States. So I think, uh, I think we're hearing a definite call. To, you know, the, the anniversary of Floyd's uh, killing uh, happened. And, of course, we, you know, there's been so, so many encounters uh, of, of, of racism that one has to really assess where they are with, with that. So it's a continual thing. So that witness happens, that third witness that I mentioned, third witness of being incarcerated. People, uh, you know, they can kind of tell I'm not, uh, I'm not exactly, uh, you know, kind of like a regular uh, crime guy. And so they kind of, what are you in here for? And so I, I have a chance to talk about the nuclear weapons. And, and a, lot of, a lot of the guys get it that have, that have had to been through, they, they've seen where the spending and the priority is for the United States, and they, they get it. They said, yeah, they got billions and billions for nuclear weapons, and they don't have, they can't even pave our streets or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, uh, fix up things. And all they do is keep giving money to, to militarize the police departments, and, and they're not paying attention to our, uh, uh, the needs and the civil rights. So I hope that answers some part of the question, at least uh, it's a it's, it's just uh, incredible, the amount of incarceration going on in the United States, just incredible. Where, where do you find the spiritual sustenance to, to be within that? Yeah, the, it, I, have a, I, I get attached to a routine, of course, and, and like I say, like, kind of like a monk. But the scripture speaks very loudly uh, you know, under those circumstances. It takes on a kind of an extra dimension. It, it's almost palpable. Um, day in, day in, uh, out uh, interactions with people, the, the ability to give people wide space, to be able to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, you know, sometimes uh, uh, occasionally um, 
you know, you're, 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 you're being tested in terms of your patience or your nonviolence, your virtue or whatever. So there's instances in that that, that bring out the scripture more and more. And then, of course, there's uh, people uh, who many people have been unchurched uh, that end up in jail. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and you talk about uh, the, for a Christian, what, what does forgiveness really look like? Uh, what is it like to really be um, to be able to forgive others or to be forgiven yourself? I mean, it's a, I think this is a big encounter for a lot of guys that are locked up. Uh, if there's victims in their crime, if there's or they themselves have been victims or so. So there's a lot of values that are tossed around. We've had Bible studies where the guys can actually, um, you know, comment and they, the Bible throws a little light on their lives if they if they're doing some reflecting. So all those kinds of things help. Um, I I have my routine, uh, you know, prayer with scripture, prayer without, uh, sometimes an occasional discussion, sometimes occasional writing that I will do, reflection on Sunday's uh, readings, for instance, that I, uh, some of the Catholic workers want to read. So that all that helps. I think that all goes into to, to the mix. I, I don't watch television, for instance. I, but I do like to read both serious books and, of course, fiction. Uh, so that's somewhat part of my routine that uh, I think feeds me. Uh, I'm interested in the the people who support you, both you know, well, inside, but then people on the you know outside within that group. But then, I'm looking at a photo right now, uh, really from the day that you were released in, in April, kind of coming out of um, <laughs> the prison, and then but, having you know, a never happened. Yeah, we were never usually released. From a courthouse, that's a, that was so unusual. Yeah, you had a group gathered there in masks yeah. and with, with signs and kind of yeah. you know lifting hands and and blessing over you. Do you, do you yes. remember? Do you have oh. uh, feelings from that that oh, yeah. day? It, can, it was hmm. very. I was just in. I was just in shock. There was nothing that could really uh, prepare me. It was like uh, trying to answer everybody's letters at once or something, you know. But at the same time, too, feeling very sustained and of course. Uh, even more keener, more vivid sense of release. That this is different. I mean, this was just radically different from one side of that door to the other. The marshal took the time to actually get me out of the courthouse because I, otherwise I would have had to have been driven up to SeaTac, the um, the prison, where uh, to be kept and uh, you know and get given my clothes and all that. But he says this thing's gone on just too long. Uh, uh, and so you're, we're going to release you. So the courthouse was closed. So he had to walk us through the courthouse. I no longer had chains on and walked uh, myself and the attorney Blake uh, through the courthouse and released us the door where, and people were just, they, they thought that I was going to be taken away, but they, a couple of them, well, not a couple, it was actually quite a few people uh, lingered around a bit and they said, he's here. And so it was, uh, as you can see from the photos with the masks and everything and, and some people I couldn't even recognize because they were masked, uh, but it was quite an exciting moment. Sure. You know? How have you felt support from the Jesuits? This is a, a ministry that, you know, I'm sure some people would ask you about, um, wonder about, and uh, to, to be supported by your provincial or, or others. Do you feel like that support from the Jesuits? Oh, very much so. And, and a lot of personal support. I mean, I get letters all the time. I get uh, people, you know, uh, inquiring from me and, uh, I, um, uh, uh, form, uh, guys in formation. I don't know if you know Billy uh, Critchley Menor. He uh, just wrote me recently. Uh, 
a, a lot of different people. And now, the, of course, the church itself, I'm in good standing, but mm-hmm. the church itself can't come out and say we should all be breaking the law. They can't, they can't at least they can't put it that way. Right. Although, uh, you know, we've had uh, even cardinals say if it came choice between reporting an immigrant or, um, you know, uh, allowing them to be in our churches, I'm, I'm not going to report them, uh, that kind of thing. So they do take a stand publicly. But uh, I've had uh, uh, just fantastic support. Uh, um, and um, I remember specifically the day of Hiroshima. Um, up the hill, fortunately, up the hill was the, no- the novitiate for the Jesuits in Japan. Pedro Arupe, who later became the superior general, had mass that day. So they had mass with victims of the bombing who were brought up to them because it was uh, it was above the uh, the burnings and all that. And he became before uh, before he became provincial of Japan, uh, he became a tireless uh, advocate for. Um, you know, for disarmament. He says, this is just devastating. He was an eyewitness, of course, to, to Hiroshima. And I was able to, to write to the general when I did my first plowshares that it was, Francis Xavier founded the community, uh, more or less the Catholic community of Nagasaki, and they withstood centuries of persecution in the church. And of course, a bomber from a so-called Christian country with a Christian crew Wiped out three orders of religious nuns uh, in Nagasaki in one in one second, um, and unfortunately, the spire of the cathedral was the thing sticking up through the clouds. They couldn't find Nagasaki at first, and it was the spire of the cathedral through the clouds that gave them something to uh, so-called aim at. So it's a real a real tragedy. So when I wrote to the general and I said. I said, this is really something close to the heart of many, many Jesuits. And, and I, I've, had, um, I've had very good sustained support from many uh, through the years. It's been, it's been 25 years now, uh, mm. 25, 26 years now. I wanted to ask you about connection with another Jesuit who you've mentioned uh, a few times, Dan Berrigan, who you were close with. You actually preached the homily at his funeral mass, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Um, someone who you mentioned you could see as a, a role model. What for people, again, he is a, a larger than life profile, but for people who didn't know him the way you did, what from being a friend of his, what are uh, things from him that you carry with you? Yeah, this, this is a uh, fellow you could kind of, uh, he, uh, he was a poet. And uh, so he, he, he was struggling constantly, but you, you couldn't tell it was a struggle with him. He made it look kind of easy. How do you tell the truth at any one moment? How, how do you find the way, the means to tell the truth? Of course, he used words to do that, but his words were backed by his actions. And his brother was very keen in his life. Uh, Phil was, um, you know, in touch with, um, you know, he was a Josephite, so he was in touch with many minorities, their schools and their, uh, their formation and all that. And I think that the, between the two of them, I think it was a great supplement that they found and discovered, you know, in their analysis, they found uh, how to do, uh, how, how, how to make something uh, artistic enough that could communicate, a good act of communication. So I, I think it'll go down in history that the burning of draft files that they did, I mean, that was just such a, uh, I, I was applying as a conscientious objector. I hadn't joined uh, a religious order yet. I was still, um, I was still uh, about 20 years old and applied for conscientious objection. 
well, I had I had this great model in in the Berrigan brothers for that because I, if I, I looked around, there was very it was difficult to see there were Catholics who who were as demonstrable as as that. So uh, and then it was uh, personally uh, uh, Dan was able to help us in a lot of our efforts to form the Pacific Life Community out here in the West. Um, we uh, made a good response. It was kind of rejuvenating the, the Pacific Life community. It had, it had just kind of gone a little uh, dormant for a while. So he, he came out and was able to help us with our first retreat. Uh, very generous with his time and all that. It was really hard to see him, of course, in his last couple of years when he was uh, retired. He, he, he was not as mobile as he was. He was always very spry. Uh, in his 80s, a very uh, spry elderly octogenarian and um, so it was it was it was hard to see a very vigorous person uh, um, undergo that and um, so I, I was uh, allowed into the friendship of both uh, Phil and Dan and uh, many others of course a, a part of the group that was with them and so it was a, a, a real um, introduction of course to to a, an improvement in my life to meet him yeah read celebrating uh, again the centenary of his birth and the, the five-year anniversary of his death and certainly a figure that you know, many are inspired by i would count myself in that group i'm just maybe we could end with this so like, i'm looking for some practical advice from you so again i'm some i have three kids five and under yes i'm i will not be with you at the next plowshares action i can tell you that um okay but i but i am i i want to know what what can i do what am i what might i be being called to do to support you to, you know, make a witness to what I believe. Um, are there any tips you give to, to people like me? Well, no, uh, this is the, it, it, I think it's all a concerted effort is you, you are helping to form conscience. You, uh, the, the conference, of course, uh, these issues are, uh, um, are taken up on a regular basis. We, we deal with why, uh, why is there, uh, why is there racism? Why is there poverty and all that? And, I, and, and, and then, of, of course, we can all point to uh, uh, as religious, we can say, well, our take on this is that there's a kind of a spiritual malaise that's going on. Well, why is that? Well, because we are not we may not be uh, as as a as a pilgrim church. We may not be uh, there. We may not have consensus on some of these issues. And so the further education of your own children, the further education of people that are part of uh, are either collaborating or part of, um, uh, you know, Jesuit ministries. I think it's an ongoing thing to be able to spot the, the ways in which things can uh, not only go wrong, but of course, what's the right that has been done. And, and I'm not expecting uh, all Jesuits, of course, to do what I'm, I'm doing. But I know that in that classroom, for instance, or I know in that parish, that, that, they, that if you can bring out the, the issue in such a way that at least causes the, the reflection and people can see that there's a matter of conscience in there, no matter what it is. And so I, I point out, you know, the consistency of life is there. I, uh, uh, you know, the death penalty is barbaric. Uh, we've, the Europeans point that out to us. The, um, uh, the nuclear weapons are an obvious one for me, but, but, but I, I can understand that people need to be brought along on that. So I think this is all a concerted effort. That's that's what I'm trying to say. And and I, I think that when 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 your own child asks you, gee, what 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 did they do to that man? Did they 
did they kill that man? Was that right? And you have a, you have a moment there. You have a, a teaching moment to say, no, this is, this isn't right. And the, you know, the sort of the, the kill the mockingbird uh, situation that, that we, we can kind of raise consciousness of kids and, and uh, our fellow um, travelers to, to say, you know, there, there is justice there, but it has to be worked for. And, and there's tremendous amount of freedom, uh, but it's scary for a lot of people. Uh, so uh, I hope that I hope that sense. I, I'm not I'm not talking about total relativism, but I'm talking about a concerted effort. Well, Father and Steve, I think, I think you're 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 bringing me out into the into the public here a little bit, into the conference at least. I think that's a, isn't that a part of it? I mean, uh, where would I be? <laughs> I'd be a little I'd be a little bit too much wilderness, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, but this Father Steve Kelly, thank you again so much for taking this time, um, covering so many different topics, and thank you for your your witness. Uh, which again, I, I hope for I know for me, I'll spend some time uh, in prayer and reflection and conversation uh, later today and days to come uh, with my wife and with others I work with, thinking about okay, what what might this mean? I feel like kind of challenged, uh, but in a in a holy way, uh, kind of like by the prophet Isaiah himself, perhaps. So, so thank you so much for the time and for, for all you do. Well, you're more than welcome, but thank you for your interest in sustaining this program. Thank you. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States, And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.